0: As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today and then also Romans chapter 1, Luke chapter 2 and Romans chapter 1. There's a journalist by the name of Sam Paul, and he wrote a piece for the New York Post about a year ago, and the title of it was, Festive Stress is Ruining America's Holiday Season. Anybody in here, you don't have to raise your hand, but anybody in here experiencing festive stress? Uh, Several of y'all did raise your hand, yeah. 31% of Americans describe the holiday season as frantic. Festive stress tends to begin around December the 13th, and by December the 18th, many Americans describe themselves as experiencing severe stress. What are the causes of this stress? Well, the top things on the list were shopping, crowds, Cleaning, knowing what to get people, and cooking. Now, admittedly, those are all first world problems, but uh, they, they cause you stress as you're dealing with that. Forty-one percent feel the pressure to have a perfect Christmas. Just want everything to be perfect, want everybody to get along looking for the perfect Christmas. And get this, I don't, I don't know exactly how they figured this out, but... Festive stress reaches its peak at 2.05 p.m. on Christmas Day, 2.05 p.m. So I was trying to think through that. And I thought, okay, basically everybody gets up, opens the presents, has a great time there, but then it begins to register, okay, how much did I spend <laughs> And Uncle Albert and his new girlfriend are going to be at the house in about 30 minutes, and we've got to get some stuff cleaned up, and we've got some stuff to get in the oven, and I wish so-and-so were here, and this isn't going the way that I I envisioned it. And so about 2.05 in the afternoon on Christmas Day, festive stress reaches its peak. They say that 49% of Americans will drink more coffee during the holiday season, and 15% will drink extra energy drinks. Now, I know this doesn't apply to anybody in the room, 7 out of 10 will eat too many sweets. Amen? Hallelujah? That's right, we're having church today. 7 out of 10 eat too many sweets. Now, what happens is then 60% of people, once Christmas is over, and usually just after you get past New Year's, about 60% of people feel a guilt dump after the holiday season. I want to say today, that's not Christmas Christmas is supposed to be about good news of great joy that shall be for all people. Christmas should calm the soul. It should nestle your spirit in a warm, cozy bed of joy. And there are times when we need to focus not on what we are stressed about, but on how much we are blessed. Focus less on your stress And more on your blessings. And so, when you think of Mary and Joseph, what immediately, what scene immediately comes to your mind? What scene do you think of when you think of Mary and Joseph? The manger scene, right? And whenever we think of the manger scene, we often think of Silent Night, Holy Night, and how it's a calm, peaceful thing. Now, I have to say, The police are currently investigating our nativity scene that's out in the foyer. We have a small nativity scene right in the foyer outside, and it seems that Joseph has been broken. So we have a uh, shepherd that is posing as Joseph. However, Joseph is broken, and we're thinking that the perpetrator may have been about two to four feet tall. So if you come across any, any suspects, please let... Ashley Edwards, no, and we will, we will trail those suspects and prosecute to the full extent of the law. I'm kidding. You know, the nativity scene is always peaceful, but in reality, there was a lot of brokenness on that silent night. A lot of brokenness beneath the star, within the manger. Luke chapter 2 says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. That the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth and Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. Now, Mary and Joseph had been through an extremely rough time. They had somehow found love in each other, and they were engaged to be married. And then Mary receives the visit from the angel. And she's told that she's going to be the one that brings forth the Christ child. She's told of the fact that God has chosen her. And so she receives this commission from God. And yet, it also brings a lot of difficulty into her life. You need to realize this. When God commissions you to do something, when God calls you, it will also bring some struggle into your life. Every single major character of Scripture, the prophets of old, the preachers, the, those that led, led great things for God, they always had critics, they always had struggle, they always had difficulty. The call of God will always bring with it some struggle and some crisis. And so Mary was called to be the mother of Jesus, and then she had struggle. She had to tell daddy. She had to tell daddy, "I'm I'm pregnant." She had to tell Joseph, and whenever she told Joseph, he did not immediately understand. You might remember the part of the story where he decides that he's going to break up with her and put her away privately. That was something that was part of the cultural system. But then eventually the angel appears to Joseph as well, and so they move forward with their plans to get married. And I can imagine the scene shifting as they get ready for the baby. I, I like to modernize it and think that they were planning the, the birth plan and they were painting the nursery and they were getting everything ready, maybe having baby showers and all, all that good stuff. And then Caesar Augustus, the most powerful emperor to have ever ruled Rome issues a decree. He tells everybody that they have to go to the town of their birth for a census. What that essentially meant was they were going to count noses and pay taxes. And so now Joseph had a problem. Can't you imagine at times Joseph in his prayer life had to ask, God, what are you doing to us? We're just trying to be a faithful couple. Lord, what what are you doing to us? Why why do all my plans keep getting ruined? Now he had financial strain. He had to pay for the trip. He had to pay these taxes. Mary was 39 weeks pregnant. You say, Lash, how do you know that she was 39 weeks pregnant? Well, here's how I'm calculating that. 40 weeks is full term, right? Right. I don't think that Jesus is going to be early or late. I think he's going to be right on time. So I think Mary was 39 weeks pregnant, okay? So she's 39 weeks pregnant, and she has to ride on a donkey 70 to 100 miles. That's stressful. Well, it gets better. Verse 6, While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in, my translation says, feeding trough. That's what a manger is, a feeding trough. So she laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room for them at the lodging place. So think about this. Mary and Joseph are on this road trip, and then Mary goes into labor. Ladies, does it hurt when you go into labor? Oh, yeah, yeah. It hurts when you go into labor. So Mary suddenly is having contractions. She's hurting. We don't know. Her water could have broken. And uh, they're away from home on a road trip. Bethlehem Baptist Hospitals out of network with their insurance, so uh, all sorts of problems are colliding down upon them. They decide, okay, maybe we should go get a hotel room, the Hyatt's full, the Hampton Inn's full, Motel 6 didn't leave the light on, so all these problems are occurring in their life, and they wind up giving birth, this is their first child, and they give birth to the baby in a barn, probably actually a cave where they kept the animals at night. And then they lay the baby in a feeding trough. That's the crib. Anybody ever been in the room when a baby is born? A labor and delivery room? Anybody ever taken care of a small baby? I've had the privilege of having both of those uh, experiences. And I can assure you this. There was nothing silent about that night. That was not a silent night. It was a holy night, but it was not a silent night. And so in my mind, as I, try to, as I try to hop into their sandals and figure out exactly what it must have been like, I'm like, okay, so she gives birth, and she wraps him snugly in the cloth that they were able to find, lays him in a manger, and maybe he's finally calming down and everything's finally getting quiet, and then the shepherds show up. Now that's exactly what you want just a few hours after you've given birth, here come three men from the fields that smell and are loud, kind of, kind of coming to see the baby. I mean, that's exactly what you want to invade the labor and delivery room, right? So here's all this going on, and, and I have to, you have to realize this. Their circumstances did not bring Mary and Joseph calm, because there was nothing calm about the circumstances. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh did not bring... Mary and Joseph calm. Jesus brought them calm. You're not going to find the answer to festive stress by doing more. That's actually what's causing you the stress. The calm of Christmas is found in the spiritual meaning of Christmas. You see, the calm of Christmas is found in your soul when your soul begins to connect with what Christmas is all about. And so our Christmas passage of Scripture has been a verse from Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Romans 1, 16, you see it there on the screen. Now you'll remember, the angels proclaim to the shepherds that they bring good news of great joy, which shall be for all the people. And then we've been talking about this verse where the Bible says, "'I'm not ashamed of the gospel.'" That word gospel literally means the good news. I'm not ashamed of the good news, the gospel, because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. A couple of y'all have asked me about that last part, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. That meant it started in the Jewish community and extended beyond the Jewish community to the Gentile community as well. The gospel means good news, and literally the gospel is about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Jesus being the Son of God, Jesus being sinless, Jesus taking on flesh, living the life that we could not live, dying on the cross as an atonement for sin, overcoming death so that everyone who believes might have eternal life. That is the gospel. That is the good news. When the angels proclaim good news of great joy, they are proclaiming Jesus. He is the good news. So let me give you this morning three calming Christmas truths. And the first is this. In Jesus, we find the truth. If you take the first part of Romans 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now, what he's referring to is that Paul, as a missionary, had been to many cultures. He had seen a lot of different people, and he had run into a lot of different people that were seeking truth, seeking answers to their spiritual questions, seeking salvation, seeking meaning, seeking calm. And Paul had discovered something. No matter where he went, people had the same spiritual needs. No matter where he went... The truth of the gospel was the truth. And so Paul realized, I never have to be ashamed of Jesus Christ. There is a peace that is found when you quit living a lie in life and you truly embrace the truth. Let me explain. Your identity is found, as a believer, your identity is found in Christ. And so in Christ... I understand that I have forgiveness for my past, purpose for my present, and hope for my future. Because my faith is in Christ, I realize that I can be forgiven of my sin. I realize I have, I have a spiritual life within me, and I can live life with a singleness of purpose, that I seek to honor God no matter where I am, no matter the circumstances, no matter what's happening, I live with a singleness of purpose to honor God. And that becomes your identity. But sometimes we lose sight of who we are in Christ. And when we lose sight of who we are in Christ, we start trying to build a life and an identity outside of that. So we start trying to build our life, our identity in our career. We start trying to build our identity in what we've accomplished. We try to build our identity through our children or through our grandchildren or through various trips that we can experience or various things that we can accomplish. And all these things we start to try to build as our identity. And it's easy for us to get so caught up in that that we lose sight of who we are in Christ. And here's the problem. When this outside here becomes your identity, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. A lot of the things that I talked about are good things, but if that becomes your identity and who your core is, you will always be tired and you will always be stressed because these things, they can never fully be fulfilled. You, you accomplish, you say, okay, if I can just reach financial security, then all, everything will be okay. And so you work hard, and you save, and you invest well, and you do all these things, and you reach financial security, and you're like, okay, now everything is good. And then you start worrying, I hope I don't lose what I have, because it's never truly fulfilled. If you simply try to find all your life's identity through experiences, then you'll go on these great adventures, you'll have this experience, and then guess what? As soon as you get home, you'll be looking forward to the next adventure because it never truly satisfies. We find satisfaction when we embrace the truth of who we are in Jesus Christ. And so I want to challenge you this Christmas season to return to the truth of who you are in Christ. That's where you'll find your identity. That's where you'll find your calm. The second calming truth of Christmas is that Christmas is the answer to my spiritual wrestling. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation. It's the answer to my spiritual problems. Now, don't get me wrong. I enjoy a good present. Anybody enjoy a good present? Yeah, last year, Stacy bought me these boots that I have on here, and i 've been wearing them all year i 've enjoyed them all year. Yeah, everybody enjoys a good present that 's part of the fun of Christmas and I also enjoy a good meal. I enjoy a good Christmas ham. I particularly love it whenever they put the pineapples on the outside of the ham and the great ones the great ones put the cherry on the top of the toothpick, so you have the pineapple, the cherry, and the ham that 's living right there at that point so I, I enjoy the food and the meals of christmas i enjoy the activities of christmas wasn't old town christmas great and uh, all the all the different festive the christmas carols i enjoy the christmas services here in a few moments we're going to take the invite you to take the lord's supper tonight we're going to have candlelight and all those different memories that are made at christmas time but the real calm of christmas cannot be purchased cooked baked or attended the calm of christmas Is the gift of God, which is Jesus Christ. The eternal Son of God took on flesh and dwelt among us, so that he might die on the cross for our sins, overcome death, and extend eternal life to all who believe. And so the Scripture uses the term that it's the power of God unto salvation. Whenever I think of salvation, I go back in my life to a moment when I was six years of age and I prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord. That was the moment that Logan testified to. That was the moment that Allie testified to. That moment in their life when they became a believer in Jesus Christ. And I had that moment in my life. And I know that most of you, if not all of you, have had that moment in your life as well. But then salvation doesn't stop there. God is also continuing to work in me and help me become a disciple, someone that is truly following after Christ in every area of my life. And so salvation begins to work itself out throughout my life, and then I look forward also to the day of salvation, that hope that we have in Christ that drives us into the future, drives us into eternity, and causes us to realize that the sufferings and the pain and the injustice and the darkness of this world are but temporary. Just a little caveat that I want to talk about as well. When we think about the hope of our salvation in the future, It also brings calm to the grief that many of us experience at Christmas. I know Christmas can be a difficult time because because there's people that you wish were here that, that are not. And when we think about our faith in Christ, it anchors us to eternity. Because of Christ, this world is not the end. And though we miss people dearly at Christmas season we have the hope to see them again in heaven. Amen? Thirdly, you find the calm of Christmas when you believe. The verse says, it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. I hope that you're able to come tonight or tomorrow night. I'm going to speak briefly. We'll try to be real respectful of your time because we know it's a busy time. But I am going to be speaking this evening on do you believe in Christmas? Because a faithless Christmas leads to an empty Christmas. And Christmas is all about believing, having faith. And when we have a Christmas that is full of faith, that's when you begin to find the true meaning of Christmas. April Fool's Day, 2013, was a big day in the Banks house. We had just finished Easter services here. And for a pastor, Easter service is kind of a hectic time of year. And uh, it was particularly wild that year because not only were we celebrating Easter, but we had started a second life group hour and started a whole bunch of classes all at the same time. And uh, then we also were starting a third worship service, and we were doing all that at Easter time. And then to top it all off, Stacy, my wife, was 42 weeks pregnant. Uh, How many of you guys remember Bennett Watch? Y'all remember Bennett Watch? Yeah. Uh, Bennett was supposed, well, we thought Bennett might come at 36 weeks, and so uh, we had a scare at 36 weeks, and so we thought he was going to come any week. So for like six weeks, everybody, I was on standby all the time, and every sermon that I preached, I had to to preach with somebody ready to fill in just in case I got called off at, at the last moment. And uh, it was just kind of a cool time. I always joke with Stacy that she won the Pastor's Wife of the Year for the year 2013 because she waited until after the day, the day after Easter to go into labor. Uh, But we had gotten a little bit earthy, and we decided with Bennett, he was number three, we'd gone to the hospital with the first two. We decided with Bennett, we were going to go with the midwife and the birthing center and kind of do things naturally, you know? So uh, she goes into labor, and we go up to. We go up to the birthing center, and labor's just different at the birthing center. It's kind of crazy. You don't, you don't get into bed and get an IV. You walk around. So for like three hours, we walk around the walls of Jericho, you know, uh, seeing if we can't get labor to intensify. Eventually, we actually went up to Chick-fil-A. And so Stacy is in labor, and we were eating Chick-fil-A together. It was great. Uh, but the, the night kept getting later and later and later. I think the midwife started getting a little bit impatient, and she was like, well, it's not progressing. Why don't you guys just go home? Well, I knew my, my wife well enough to know that home was 25 minutes away. That probably wasn't the greatest idea. And so instead of going home, we got a hotel room not far away from the birthing center. And so we go to the hotel there was just this wonderful lady that checked us in at the desk. I mean, I, I almost think she was an angel because she was like, if you have any problems, I can deliver that baby. And I believed her. She could, <laughs> she could believe, deliver that baby. And uh, so we got up to the, the hotel room and got comfortable. And uh, then I noticed Stacy started kind of hurting more. And so I kept listening and I kept noticing, I think she's hurting more. And so I finally tell her, I say, babe you better get dressed before it's too late and uh, it's 1 22 in the morning and I start texting the midwife saying I think it's real this time and the midwife's like fighting with me like are you sure I'm like yeah, I'm sure it's we're, we're anyway so so we get dressed and uh, I, I wasn't sure if she could walk we had you know in hotel rooms they have those office chairs and so I was trying to talk her into sitting in the office chair and I would push her through the hallway and uh, she wouldn't have it. She, she went ahead and walked and got down to the front lobby, and I went and got the truck and pulled up. And uh, so I got her in the truck, and then we, the, the birthing center was about a mile and a half away. And by the time we got to the birthing center, I mean, she could barely, barely move. I mean, it took like 20 minutes to get her inside the door, and then we had to go up the stairs to the birthing room. And so she got... Anyway, so I'm texting the midwife at 1.22 in the morning, from the hotel room, and Bennett is born at 1.58 in the morning. That's how how close we cut it. Uh, If we had waited 10 more minutes, my son Bennett would have been born in a hotel room. But that lady could have helped us, you know. She would have been there to help us because the Lord had planted her there. Anyway, it was about as frantic of a night as I've ever had in my life. I mean it was a wild night there was no calm that night nothing really went according to how we planned it but then there was the moment when i held my son in my arms for the first time and that moment where i uh that was taken just a couple minutes after he was born right after we got him cleaned up and held my son is that is that other picture up there as well yeah we were getting him ready to to go home and kissed him and uh You know, at the midwife, you also go home like three hours after birth, too. So, yeah, that's kind of wild as well. But uh, when those moments happen, suddenly you forget about everything else. Suddenly you just feel the calm. You feel the calm of the moment. And I don't think that Christmas has to be full of festive stress. And so my prayer for you today is that you will will find the calm of Christmas. And the calm of Christmas is not going to be found in all the stuff you have to do and all these things you're trying to do to try to make everything perfect. The calm of Christmas is going to be found when you focus on the baby lying in the manger. Because that's where the meaning of Christmas is found. And the joy of Christmas is found in the meaning. So congregation let's center ourselves. Let's focus on the meaning. Let's find the calm of Christmas by remembering Jesus Christ. Jesus asked us to remember him as a church by the taking of the Lord's Supper. It's a very special time for Christians. Every time we take of the Lord's Supper, we remember Jesus. If you're not a Christian, then we do ask that you not take of the Lord's Supper and respect the sanctity of the moment. This is something that believers have been doing for 2,000 years. And so you can sing, you can pray, or you could even come and talk to me or talk to any of the deacons that would be at one of these tables and just tell them, I would like to become a Christian today. And I tell the deacons right now, if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I'd like to talk to you about being a Christian, you go talk to them. We'll get everybody served. It'll be okay. But we're going to take the Lord's Supper here and center our souls and remember Jesus. And so here in just a few moments, the deacons will come to five stations. There's two in the back. There's three in the front. And we'll invite you to come. It's not mandatory. It may be for whatever reason. You don't feel led to partake today. We respect that. You can pray. You can sing. You can participate in the service. But the deacons will serve you. Then you can take that back to your seat. And I will lead you in the taking of the Lord's Supper as we remember the calm of Christmas that is found in Jesus Christ. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we bow our heads. The deacons will now move into their places. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we pray that we might truly rejoice in you always. Help us, Lord, to find the true joy of Christmas and, Lord, as we talk to people, as we go through the various moments of Christmas, may graciousness be on display because Your graciousness has been brought near to us. Lord, may You drain us of worry and fill us with faith. And Father, I pray that as we bow before You, that upon our hearts will be thanksgiving. Father, we recognize that in this room, There are some real requests of the heart, struggles and difficulties that we're dealing with in life, and so we bring those requests to you, and we ask, Father, that we might experience the peace of God which surpasses every thought and guards our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.